Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 this is the Real Talk SLP podcast, and I'm your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. Hello. Whew. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be real, very real here and just say that this year has been super hard to feel quote unquote speechy. Like, you know, that speechy vibe, like I'm a speech pathologist. And, and of course, when we, you know, in years past, there have been years that have been really hard and, and it's been hard to find your, you know, your groove where you're feeling like, okay, this is great. But this year especially, I think has been super hard for me to say that I am feeling joyful about my job because I'm completely virtual and I work with younger kids with complex communication needs. I'm trying to support their communication over, you know, over a computer. And even when you're parent coaching virtually, it can be kind of tricky, you know, it's hard. And my job was hard in person with some of these students, but I think I've, I think I've definitely been reflecting and going, you know, I really have an appreciation for toys and for having all those, you know, toys at my fingertips. And, and even just as simple as I had a student where he really, really likes ribbons and ropes. And it's like in person, I could have rocked that session if he, if I had a rope or a ribbon, but when they're across the screen playing with the ribbon, um, <laughs> And you're going, hey, I'm over here. I'm really fun. Look at my green screen. Look at my iPad that I'm sharing over Zoom, you know, and that isn't competing. It's 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 hard. It's hard when you have those sessions. Um, and I've had those sessions in person, but I don't know what it is. It just, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe not. And also not having the camaraderie with your staff members in person where you can go stop by and see what they're up to and get, really get that true collaboration going, you know, out at recess or in the hallway or at lunch and just being able to support each other in person. And that, I think it's, it's been hard to be in the trenches right now. And if you're doing a hybrid schedule right now, you know, you're, you're probably don't even know what's happening from one day to the next. So if you're not feeling speechy this year, I'm right there with you. I show up every day. I get up. I know my responsibility. You know, I try to make the best that I can. I'm always looking for new ideas and ways I could do something differently, but I'm just letting you know that in my heart, it's work. It's really hard. Like it's not always you know, that intrinsic, you know, wow, I'm excited about today. That, that, that that's few and far between. There are days, there are times during the day when I'm like, oh, they like it. Okay, let's ride this wave. But, you know, I've, I guess I've come to learn that, you know, what, I'm going to show up, try my best, have high expectations for myself, but be able to accept when it just, when things flop and, um, it's constant reminder I have to get through, but this year I'm definitely counting down the days. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, it needs to be summer break and we got a while to go, <laughs> but you know, 
Today's topic, I am going to have Anne from Beautiful Speech Life on today. And I really enjoy talking with her because she is the guru of AAC and, and how to, you know, she always has the best tips, especially for working with emergent communicators. So I knew I wanted to have her on because I know a lot of you out there have questions about AAC and especially our kids with more complex communication needs. And, you know, you get that IEP or a kid comes in and you're seeing like all these things that you need to do. And it's just super overwhelming. And you're like, I don't even know how to turn, I I can turn on the device. I don't know how to program this. And, and, and when we have a million different things to do, it can become really, really overwhelming. And so I wanted to have Anne on because she works in a school district. She has her own small caseload, but then she has a bigger role as the AAC specialist in her district. So I'm really, I think you guys are going to really love listening to Anne. You definitely need to follow her at Beautiful Speech Life. She has the best TikToks. And so before we get to that interview, I just wanted to let you know that a lot of my students who are emergent communicators, we use core boards. And one way that you can do that with parents and just starting to try to get buy-in is coaching parents during mealtime and coaching staff during mealtime. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this episode for my mealtime communication board. It is a free download and you can laminate it and turn it into like a placemat for the students so they can put their lunch there and have their core words with some fringe vocabulary to communicate. So it's free on my website. And I also, on the blog post for that download, I also have, I think, three, maybe four, I can't remember, uh, videos showing how to model different language with the core board. So you can even send these videos to your parents, to your staff, um, and have them watch how to model with their students. So I thought that this would be a good time to let you know about that because we are going to be talking about core boards and core vocabulary today in this episode. So um, if you need something like that, you can get it on my website. All right. So let's head over to our interview with Anne. All right. Welcome, Anne, to the podcast. I'm glad to have you. Hey, I am so excited to be here. I know. Yes, I'm excited because a lot of people from my audience, they always are asking AAC questions. So I've been on the hunt to get some SLPs in the trenches that are working with students that, that have AAC devices to share tips and tricks and anything to do with AAC therapy because I feel like I'm always learning in this area. I don't know about you, but... It is just something I'm always trying to get better at. Yeah. It's like an endlessly fascinating subject to me. It's like there's just so much to learn and then you learn something and then it changes. So it's like you don't ever get bored with it. That's for sure. Yes, that is for sure. It can also be really overwhelming. So I'm hoping today we are going to ease some SLPs out there that are feeling a little overwhelmed with AAC and get them into action so they can help serve their students well. So if people don't know you, Anne, I would love it if you could share a little bit about the population you serve, where you're from, a little bit of fun facts, your background, all that fun stuff. Yeah, sure. So I am in Arizona right now in Phoenix, and I am currently working for a Title I school 
I do direct therapy with some functional skills students. And I also am working as the AAC and assistive technology lead for the district. So I get exposure to a lot of different uh, needs and uh, types of students that need AAC, which is really cool. And I, I came to become an SLP in a very roundabout way. I got my undergrad degree at Flagstaff at NAU, and then I promptly did not use it. I decided I was going to do something else for a year until I got my master's degree. And then, gosh, I think I got my master's degree like, okay, this is going to really age me. But I think it was like over 30 years later when I got my master's degree. So clearly I was like five when I got my bachelor's degree. <laughs> but <laughs> So I had gone on to do like marketing and I was an artist and moved to Canada, did all these things. And then I was like, I need to do something that makes me feel really good and where I can feel like I'm going to make a, some sort of a lasting difference. And so then I thought, well, maybe I should go back to speech therapy. So when I was in Canada, I worked as a an SLPA for, I think it was about four years. And then I moved to Arizona. And at that time, you could work as an SLP with a limited license in a school. And so I got a lot of experience that way starting in 2007. And that was when I started developing my interest in AAC because I did not know anything about it, like pretty much nothing. And I had a lot of students that really needed it. So over the next probably three years, it was kind of trial by fire and figuring out what worked, which it took a really long time for me to figure out anything that worked. I figured out a lot of things that did not work. <laughs> and then I decided to go back to school and get my master's degree. So I worked full time and went to online and got my master's degree from Nova Southeastern University and learned more about AAC that way and have been kind of learning about AAC ever since. That's awesome. So you were able to work as a speech pathologist, but with just your bachelor's because you had almost like an emergency credential, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And um, so I did get that experience, which was really cool. And then I was able to kind of work while I was getting my master's degree so I could kind of put everything into play right away, which was exhausting, but still it was like, a, it was a, a good learning experience too. Totally. Yeah. In grad school, I had, I want to say I had at least two, I mean, in undergrad, I had some AAC courses, but in graduate school, I definitely had some courses. And then we had a semester where we had AAC clients. I knew where to find the tools and I knew some basic knowledge about AAC. I knew that I could do it. I knew I had no excuses, but then you get out in the real world and it's still just hard and overwhelming. And I, I kind of, I started out doing more, you know, garden variety students hire the kids that could, they're in gen ed classes with autism. So we were doing more social thinking types of intervention, but it wasn't until I had all these autism classrooms and a lot of kids that were needing something else like 
prompting and doing all that stuff was not going to work. And so then I realized too, like, I need to start learning more about AAC. And so I just feel like even if you get the education in grad school, you still have to continue it, especially in this area, would you say? I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I feel like in grad school, you get a lot of the theory, which is really important, and maybe not quite enough exposure to actually working with a person or some of the problems that you're going to come up against. Like we were able to do these labs and see all the different devices, but the devices change on a fairly rapid scale. And so then that's nice and you know how to maybe turn it on, but then what, right? It's like, not like you can't just hand it to the student and be like, okay, here you go. Let's talk now. Right. I, I think many of us wish that we could just turn the device on and, and everything with the kid would start communicating. And I think teams think that as well, but really it takes a lot of coaching and, and getting everybody involved to help our students communicate with the device. So I know today we're going to be talking about emergent communicators and how to model for them. And before we get started with that, I always ask my guests to share a song that inspires them as an SLP. And so since we're talking about modeling AAC for our emergent communicators, do you have a song or a lyric that makes you think about modeling? Okay, so I have this song. It makes me think about the whole the whole picture of AAC and working with a student. And it's the Bruno Mars song, I Love You Just The Way You Are. So to me, that's so important because we have to accept our students as beautiful little human beings exactly the way they are and that they have so much to offer and that with AAC, we're just going to help them be able to communicate that more fully. And the one of the other reasons why I chose that song was because um, several years ago, I was in a classroom and I was working with a whole group of we call those the classrooms in Arizona, we call it functional skills students. So they're the students that are working on life skills. And a lot of them are uh, not verbal communicators. And so I had one little girl that was always just kind of off in her own little world. And but if I played that song, I, I would always play that song at the end of a session of a group session. And she loved that song. And she would come up to me and she would want to sit on my lap and she was really little like kinder and she would want to sit on my lap and then was obviously moved by that song so that was that's kind of the whole piece of why I chose that one I love that that's so cool and it makes me it reminds me of kids that they just have the things that they like and when you find that thing they like you're you're set and sometimes I think it takes forever to find that thing that they like. And right when you're ready to throw your hands up, then you find the thing and you're going, geez, that took six months. <laughs> yeah, you have to be like a detective. <laughs> exactly. Um, my song, if I was going to think about modeling and AAC, I was thinking of Beyonce's Halo because she repeats, I can feel your halo, halo throughout the song. And that's just what I think of with modeling and something that, 
I have to continually remind myself, like, I just have to model, 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 be consistent, be repetitive and be intentional. So when I find an activity to really think through how I can create opportunities to model. So I love your song. I hope you like my I do. I love it. It's so true too. You just need that repetition. Yes. Yeah. And that is, I think it's hard to keep that repetition going. And so to lead into talking about emergent communicators for SLPs that are a little bit newer to AAC and don't know what that means, I was hoping you could explain what an emergent communicator is and some skill sets that an emergent communicator would have or would be presenting with currently so people can get an idea of, oh, that sounds like a student on my caseload. That, so that they can kind of start thinking about that student as we are talking. Yeah. And I think by having this knowledge and knowing what an emergent communicator is, it also gives you a good way to communicate with a parent instead of just saying, hey, your your child currently is nonverbal and writing that in the IEP. That, that doesn't give a whole lot of information. It tells what they can't do, but it doesn't tell what they can do. So when they are emergent communicators, they are communicating, but they're just not using words yet. So they're, they are communicating by their facial expressions, by smiling or by frowning. They are using their body language. They're positioning themselves uh, towards the, the speaker or possibly they're making some vocalizations. They're uh, doing some almost like word approximations, but you're not quite sure. And then another thing would be, and I know that anyone who has worked with a student with autism who is an emergent communicator, it's where they, they know they want something and they know that you can get it for them. So they are going to bring you to it. They're going to take your hand and physically bring your hand to what they want. And that's their way of saying, hey, I need you to get this for me. So that's that's kind of what an emergent communicator is to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a really good example of explaining an emergent communicator. And it does help flip the switch for the parents too, when you're saying your kid's communicating, here's how they're doing that. And that tells them what they can do versus just shutting it down. I think it leaves a lot, a lot more hope going, hey, we have some skills here that we want to build on. So if we were to identify a student with emergent communicating abilities, what would you recommend for the IEP team? How do they go about finding a device? And then how would you recommend the SLP and the team begin to use this device to build communication? Well, I would say, you know, have that strong baseline and use something like the communication matrix where you've got like that's got like a really nice layout of you can put those skills in and then you can see what areas of language they might be a little stronger in and what areas they haven't quite developed yet. And that can be super helpful when you're looking at developing some goals for the student. But in terms of an AAC device, I would say you always consult with the whole team. So if the student has an occupational therapist, you for sure want to include them in the conversation because you're you're making sure that you are considering access. So are are they able to isolate a finger to point? Uh, are they are they going to need some support for their arm if they're in a wheelchair? 
you're going to also involve the physical therapist because we're looking at everything of how they're going to communicate in all the different environments. We also want to include the teacher from the get-go if we can, because they're going to be a really important piece of the equation and the parent too, because we're thinking about, okay, who's spending the most time with this kiddo? We want kind of everybody to be on the board from the beginning and we're going to talk to them and kind of see what their concerns are. And then, so let's say if we have a student that they, they can point. So we know that they can isolate their finger, which I mean, I'm just saying that for, for ease of example, because you definitely don't have to be able to point to use AAC. There's all other ways of access. But then ideally we would look at uh, a couple of different devices, get our hands on some different ones. Like as an SLP, we have access to, we can get free copies of AAC apps that we can use to evaluate with. There's like a whole bunch of them that we can get. And, and also in depending on where you're at, but like here, we can get loaner devices from the state. They have like a lending library. And at my district, we have like some extra ones. So ideally, you're not going to want to just try them on one thing one time and choose. You're going to try a couple different ones and kind of see if they have an affinity for one because the symbols are different. And a lot of times you can tell that you give them maybe three different ones to choose from and they kind of gravitate towards one. So then maybe you're, you're going to try that for if you have the luxury, try it for a month and see how they like it. But I would say the very biggest piece is that we're going to model like all of us, all of the people that are around this student, we're going to model on the device and we're going to show him how we, we're going to use the AAC to teach the AAC. We're going to um, show him by, and by modeling, just in case anybody's new and they um, are not quite familiar with what I'm talking about, that just means that on a device, then you're going to say the word. So let's say if we were going to say, go eat, then we're going to take our finger and we're going to say, go, we're going to push the go button on the device, hold our finger there for a few seconds so that they can see it. And then we're not going to expect them to push it right away. We're going to give them a lot of different exposure because when you think about, think about like a typically developing verbal child, how many times they have to hear a word before they say it. Like, you know, we all want our babies say mama, but how many times you think they heard it before they ever said it? Like thousands of times. So it's the same for, for these guys. We're asking them to communicate in a different way. They're probably not seeing very many other kids communicate that way as compared to how many people are speaking. So we're going to need to let them see that so that they can start understanding the expectation Totally. So just to recap on that, I would say the main point you said is as a team, and it really needs to be a team driven decision, find a couple of different models, have the team try them out and see where the, the student is gravitating towards those devices. And then everyone has to be modeling. And I really loved your tip. I'm going to start trying to do that a little bit better. I do model with the AAC device for the students to show them I'm going to communicate with it, but I didn't think to like hold my finger there 
a little bit longer because that's a really good visual so they can actually take the time to process. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I know some people have virtually with teletherapy, I either screen share and have it up and I try to put a little square around it to model. So that's up or people have been messaging me that they are using a document camera so that they can model in real time with the student and the activity. So that's a really good tip for just holding it. I think pausing and holding and modeling is, I don't know, it's hard sometimes. (laughs) It's really hard for us because we have a tendency to talk fast and we want them to be successful. But if you think about like, for me, I'm not very good at learning. Like say if I had to learn a new dance move, it takes me forever. And so it's because you're asking me to do something completely new and I'm not sure of it. I have no muscle memory of it. And I'm just like, I personally am a real slow learner when it comes to dance moves. I am not Beyonce. But for our kids, we're asking them to do something really different. And we're asking them to point, we're asking them to look at all these little squares and we're asking them to attach meaning to it. And a lot of times they have a slower processing anyway, because of if they have a developmental delay or whatever else might be going on with them. So we just need to give them that extra time and it's a game changer for sure. From what I remember from some of my trainings and stuff with emergent communicators, I know those kids are the ones that are typically, they're still learning vocabulary and functions of communication. So would you say it's kind of a myth to just put them in, I don't want to say put it in a box like, oh, they need a go talk with one page icons, or could they handle a robust device? I mean, is that something to consider or do we go with a core board or? Well, I feel like, and I think the research shows too, that we want to go with the most robust system possible because we are asking them to memorize uh, with their muscle where the symbols are. So say if we've got a device that has 40 symbols on, on the front page, then We're not going to start with just two and then gradually expand it because every time we expand it, the symbol location is going to change. So you're better off if like, let's say we notice, okay, we give them like 40 or 48 or 60. And then we're like, hmm, it's having a little trouble focusing, having a little trouble zeroing in on what I want him to. But there's like a lot of ways around that. If you're in like Lamp Words for Life, they have Vocabulary Builder, which lets you screen out certain, say like if you were working on like just six core words, you can make it so only those are showing on the screen during your activity, during your teaching activity. And then right away, you're going to want to put all the rest of them back on. And you can do that at the touch of a button. And then they'll have all of those available to explore and to learn new vocabulary. And it's the same with all the different systems have a way that you can do that. And then you brought up like the low tech, like with the core board. I mean, core boards work great, especially if you're in a district or you're in a place where you don't have access right away to something high tech. 
then using the core boards, I've had a ton of success with those and it helps them start getting used to the idea that, okay, if I point to this or if she points to this, that word has meaning, I'll get something for it. It's not a either or thing. It's not like you have to start low tech and then go high or you have to start high tech and then have low tech. It's just kind of always depends on what you have and what the what the student needs. I think that, yeah, that's a really good point. Cause I was thinking about that earlier when you were talking about devices, sometimes people don't have devices. They don't have AAC specialists in their district. So always starting at least with the, having a core board is always a great place to start. If you're feeling like, I don't even know where to start because nobody has answers. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Cause then <laughs> at least you have something and they're kind of, they're getting the idea. And then that also brings me to, so say if you do get a high tech device for your student, then you're going to want to have some low tech too. So maybe you're going to want to screenshot the, the first page and print it out so that say if you forgot to charge the device, you've got something or say if they're going to go like, in the pool or it's a, like a really rainy day and you don't have a Ziploc bag to put it in. It's just a good idea to always have an alternative and so that they have that uh, additional access. And then it's also that if you think about it, we all have different ways to communicate. We don't have just one way. And so with the AAC, it's the same thing. So I love all your points about using low tech and high tech and having those low tech tools available in case something goes wrong, the device isn't charged or you're going somewhere new. And it might be easier even in teletherapy to have a low tech device on your end so that you can model easier during a session. So I know a lot of SLPs feel intimidated with AAC therapy because I feel like they're worried about navigating the device and then how to plan therapy to use the device. So I would love it if you could walk through or give us some tips on how you plan for therapy and how a speech pathologist could walk through modeling words and communication in therapy. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, depending on kind of what level the student's at, where I would start is like you said, we do our detective work, we find something that they're really interested in because we want it to be fun. We want them to have some buy-in. If we know that the student has a really short attention span, then we're gonna plan short activities. And I like to plan them around core vocabulary because core vocabulary is on all the devices. Those are the words, in case somebody's new to this, those are the words that our students are gonna be using 80% of the time. They did the research and these are words that will take them across all different environments. So it, instead of just learning a bunch of nouns and learning to label, which can only be used, which they are gonna to need to learn that too. But I think at first you're gonna to want to give them those words that they can use everywhere. They can use them at home. They can use them at school. They can use them in the park. So I would start with a couple core vocabulary words and 
match an activity with them. Make sure that you know where those words are on the device. So say if you're in person, then you're going to model, say if we were doing go and more and say if we had a popper and so you're going to say, okay, ready, set. And you're holding the popper, ready, set, go. And then you pop it. And then you say, oh, look at that. I see you're smiling. I think you like it. And then say, do you want more? And that can take you for a good, like probably 10 minutes if they like it. And then maybe you can give them a turn. You can go back and forth with your turn, my turn. Those are all core vocabulary words. And then if you were doing something like that for teletherapy, I think like, okay, here's, this is just me, but I think sometimes if they're just getting started, it's, it's really visually, it could be visually overstimulating for them to have to be seeing the split screen and to be seeing, okay, here's the device. And I got to look over here to do my activity. It might be easier um, if you can get the person who's with them, if they have a communication partner with them to do the modeling for you. Also, if you could model either by, say if you're working on the word go, then you could hold up like a low tech version of the board so that they can kind of see the position. And then also if you were doing um, a boom card activity, which I absolutely love boom cards for that, uh, then get some that's based on a core, like get some boom card activities that have go on them. And then they're learning the concept of go and they're seeing it in kind of different ways of doing it. And then, I mean, you could even, uh, depending on your personality, but you could be like, have like be doing something silly and then they would have to tell you they want more. So it, you just have to kind of be creative. I think the main thing, especially with teletherapy, is keeping their attention, like getting that buy-in and doing whatever you need to do to get their attention and then um, keep it pretty simple. I mean, I, I wouldn't like try and teach them 10 core words in one day. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of plan. I like that idea. I like the idea of planning behind core with core words and... I agree with all your tips on what to do. And I think for teletherapy, the big challenge, like you said, was getting their attention. So I find boom cards. I know you, I've seen your boom cards because you'll share about them on Instagram. They're very simple and it's a good thing because you're trying to teach in. So you have a ton of, you kind of, I don't know how many are in your deck, but I've seen them where you're like, we're working on in. Yeah. And then so that were like 30. Yeah. 30 of in and out, but it reduces the cognitive load. It keeps you focused on the core word that you want to teach. And of course you can expand out, but that's what I've noticed with my kids. When I try to even build bigger sentences, I just have to almost keep it at like in, out, in, out. And it feels really um, uncomfortable modeling it that way, but it's, I can tell the kids are responding better because it's really, I don't know. Teletherapy is very stimulating. <laughs> it is all that light, you know, yeah. and I'm <laughs> over here going, Oh my gosh. So I would say, yeah, 
for teletherapy, definitely keep it simple. And I would say in person too, but it's easier to read the room, so to speak, when you're in person to see like, oh, they're catching on to more. Well, yes. now I can say, let like, oh, like, you like that and expand. But I always have like a couple of core words that I'm really like, okay, this is what I'm hitting. So I agree with all that. And I know you were talking a little bit about parent coaching. And so what tips would you have or how would you help staff with coaching and modeling? And I don't know if you have any ninja tips on how to get buy-in with all that, because I think the big, a big problem is we all know as SL, well, a lot of SLPs know, like you said earlier, model with expectation, invite, don't demand. But I feel like there's this dilemma as speech therapists, like we got to prove to our team that this is going to work. So you want to like force it on the kid. And then you have staff where they're doing the demanding and you're going, oh my gosh, we can't be having this. So I don't know if you have some tips on parent coaching and staff coaching. I do actually. I've had like in the early years when I was trying to do it, it just like I had a lot of fails for sure. And I think one of the really important things is to take your ego out of it because we know we're really smart. We know we have master's degrees and we're smart, but I think if you go in and meet with the teacher with the perspective of, I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to see what is going on with her in her classroom and, and just say, okay, what are you hoping will happen with little Johnny and his device? And then find out if she has realistic expectations. And if they're not super realistic on a realistic timeline, then kind of gently help her dial it back. And then say, kind of start explaining where you would like to start and why. And then I think one of the really important questions to ask is, how can I best help you support Johnny with his communication in the classroom to access what you're doing with him. And I have found that that question really helps because it shows like you do want to be a partner. You want to help her because clearly she wants to help her students. So if you can kind of be a conduit for that, then that can be a really good starting point. And then I also think that people aren't really going to want to hear this, but I think it's super important that you front end load your time right when a student is looking at getting a device or even during the eval, include the teacher and just know that you're going to need to spend some extra time there. It's going to be more than the kids minutes. But if you do it, if you put in that extra time, it's going to pay off in really big dividends because you're going to help train the teacher and give her that understanding and give her time to ask questions. And like I said, we can't just drop it off and be like, here you go. Good luck. I did my part. You can't do that. So I think think your presence in the classroom more makes them go, oh yeah, she's not going away until. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, to be real here, but yeah. I like that. And then with the parents is it's like, let's call them and let's offer. And I know like this is another time consuming thing, but 
let's maybe see if it's a classroom that has a lot of students that need AAC. Let's see if we can put together like a, I'm doing right now, I'm doing like a once a month Zoom series for the parents. And it's short, like really short, 20 minutes, just so that they can ask questions. And then we can say, you know, start explaining what, because AAC is like a pretty foreign concept to them. So just really start explaining some of the very, very basics and then include the teachers in that training. And if you can get the staff to come to for that, then bonus. And then you have eventually, hopefully you'll get that snowball effect where if the teacher buys in and they're a strong teacher, then everybody else is just going to trickle down. And especially once they see that the student can use it and use it with some success and that it might reduce some uh, behaviors that we don't want, that's when you can really get some good buy-in. Yeah. I love that idea of having almost like, it sounds like parent coaching hours and they can come on and ask questions. So then you're also getting the parents that are already kind of bought in a little bit more because they're showing up to your meeting. So I like that idea of doing parent coaching hours. And it's super enlightening for us when we hear their questions, because I feel like we're we're so used to it and we don't have that beginner's mind with it anymore. And so we can kind of forget what our very beginning questions were. And so if you can establish enough rapport with the parents where they trust you to ask those questions, then you can be like, oh, wow, I really need to dial it back right now. You know, I'm talking about like core vocabulary and building sentences and they don't know how to turn on the device. So it's like you get that really good back and forth going. And yeah, and it helps with you and the parents coming up with realistic goals for the week. Maybe it's just pulling the device out at every day for a week or two until they get used to doing that routine. So I love all those tips and I love the teacher tips because that is a struggle. And do you mind sharing that question you said again that you asked the teachers, how can I? How, how can I best support you in helping your student communicate in the classroom, especially during his classroom work? I love that question because I feel like why questions can come across as a little like, well, why aren't you using the device? Why aren't you? And the how is opening the dialogue for a discussion to problem solve or say what's working, not working. Yeah. And then they can, they can kind of be like, oh, well, maybe you could help me. Like maybe, maybe we could function as a team. Yes. So I love all your tips and I feel like we're just getting our feet wet because we are going to wrap this up, but I would love if you could tell everyone and how they can get more coaching from you with your AAC Academy courses. I don't know if you're having those out yet, but they're really beneficial if you are needing just an AAC mentor and Anna's super patient and welcoming. So share with everyone. Yeah, I so I have an AAC Academy Jumpstart course that'll kind of help you uh, take a deep dive uh, into the basics that'll get you, it'll, it'll give you enough information to have that strong AAC foundation and get going. And that's going to be opening here in March 
And then once you go through the course and it's, I, I made the course so that it's got little short modules because you know we're all busy. So then you can just like listen on your lunch hour and not that we get a lunch hour, listen on your lunch 15 minutes while you're at your desk. <laughs> and then it progresses to a membership too. If you really want to jump in and get, it has a lot of uh, different tips and resources so I have that, which is really fun. And I'm going to be going into my, this will be my third year anniversary for AAC Academy. So that's exciting. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So check it out. AAC Academy, it'll be in the show notes and you definitely need to go follow Anne on Beautiful Speech Life. She is the queen of TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what TikTok education on <laughs> so if you like to get little tips or reminders in a fun way you can watch your tiktoks they're really fun that's i usually watch those are the ones i watch the most all your aac tiktoks <laughs> yeah and, and now we have reels on instagram i know so, yeah that's fun i have i don't have any time yet to really get good at any of those things but you are definitely the queen of them so yes yeah, so thanks for coming on Anne, and it was a pleasure talking with you about emergent communicators yeah it's been great thanks Felice. yeah all right everyone just your friendly reminder to be the slp that every kid wants to see and stay inspired until next week bye bye uh-huh. Uh-huh.